Welcome to the Coaching Podcast, Coach for Success in Sport and Business. Today on the Coaching Podcast, Emma talks to Jay Gruden. Jay played football for the University of Louisville. He played in the World League of American Football and in the Arena League. In the Arena League, Jay won four Arena Championships and also collected an MVP award along the way. At the end of his playing career, he began coaching. First in the Arena League, starting as an offensive coach, then progressing to a head coaching role. Jay stood for more than 150 games on the sidelines in the Arena League. In 2002, he joined the National Football League, the Premier League of American Football, also known as the Not For Long League, if you can't cut it. Jay's first role was as an assistant offensive coach for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which at the time were coached by his elder brother, John. And after six years and with a Super Bowl ring, Jay left the Buccaneers. After Tampa Bay, Jay coached for a short time in the United Football League, but then 2011 saw him return to the NFL as the offensive coordinator for the Cincinnati Bengals. In 2014, Jay became the head coach for the Washington Redskins. Jay's coaching style is energetic and positive. His coaching comments are laden with feedback. His positives are repeated and he uses the same phrase two or three times driving home the point. The delivery is both encouraging and directive and carries the energy and clarity that a player needs to be able to respond to the task. Let's have a listen. G'day and welcome to the Coaching Podcast. I'm Emma Doyle here with Coach Jay Redskins. Uh, so honoured to be in your office right now having this moment to chat. Um, first question, it's a bit off the cuff, it's a bit random. I'm not sure if you've ever tried the Australian spread Vegemite. You either love it or you hate it or you've never tried it and I am going to make sure I leave you some. If you're, you're looking at me like you haven't tried it. Have you tried it? I've never tried it. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. Okay. It's, uh, it's vitamin B. It's usually off the bottom of a keg. It's quite nasty. Um, a really sour taste, but I've got one in the car. I'm going to leave you as a, as a gift for your time here today. Because you said you've never heard of it, it's your choice. Your best coaching moment and what were the lessons or your worst coaching moment and what were the lessons? Well, best coaching moment. I was fortunate enough to win some championships in the Arena League before I got to the NFL. Those were always good. Whenever you win a championship, it's always great. Uh-huh. I was part of a championship with my brother's team, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, when they won the Super Bowl in 2002. That was awesome. Yeah. Uh, but really being a head coach here with the Washington Redskins, I've learned and uh, both from the good and the bad, about every experience. Mm-hmm. Um, every day you just continually get better. Mm-hmm. Uh, you learn from each player, each coach that you've had to work with you. Uh, so every day is just a great experience, in my opinion. I, I try to take what I've learned from each day, each game, each season, and uh, make myself a better coach and better person. Beautiful. The next question is the sliding doors question. Could you share with us one sliding doors moment in your career that changed the trajectory of your career? Uh, probably, yes. I was uh, working for my brother in, uh, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as an assistant, and uh, I was also uh, the head coach of the Orlando Predators in the Arena League. Uh, the Arena League folded, and my brother and myself got fired in the same year. So I'd say that sliding door slammed shut on me really quick. Yeah. And fortunately, uh, a new league called the United Football League opened up, and the head coach Jim Hazlitt called me up and asked me if I wanted to be the coordinator, which happened to be in Orlando where I was living, which I never expected. Went and worked for him for a couple of years, which led to me getting an offensive coordinator job with the Cincinnati Bengals. So uh, you just never know what's going to happen. Uh-huh. Just keep working and uh-huh. uh, take the next opportunity and do your best you can. Love it. Love it. 
in uh, in one to a maximum of three words, what do you think makes a great coach? Oh man, there's a lot. I think uh, you got to be able to listen to the people around you. You got to be able to motivate, and uh, you got to be able to adjust. Listen, motivate, adjust. Yep. Fantastic. And finally, our last question is where we ask you to ask us a question. You always want to know more about. Uh, I like to know most about how people handle adversity. Because mm-hmm. everybody can handle success pretty easily. It's adversity. When teams don't do as well as expected, when mm-hmm. players don't do as well as expected, how do you motivate them to continue to work hard or even harder, obviously, that they have to do uh, on a daily basis? Mm-hmm. Beautiful. We look forward to answering that. And thank you so much for your time. All right. Thank you. Emma, where in the world are you? <laughs> well, would you believe, Damo, I'm actually back in Melbourne, but I, I believe we might have crossed over in the air. Is, it, is that true? <laughs> Probably. Yeah, I've been thawing out. I'm back in Singapore now. Yeah, so uh, so pretty excited about talking about Coach Gruden today. I know. I know. You know how much I love NFL. I do. I um, do know. You know a lot about the sport, a lot more than me, so I was surprised to find myself in his office, actually. Well, how did that happen? Well, I was giving a presentation in Washington, D.C. to a bunch of adults, quite specialised clinics, and where I really have a list of all their challenges and then try and put a workshop together, almost like kind of freestyle coaching. It's a pretty cool little program. And one of those clients in the workshop was Sherry Gruden, of course, Jay's wife. And I was talking to her about a release strategy, how to get over a point really quickly when you you miss a shot or... Um, how do you take no more than three seconds to be a little bit, you know, upset that you missed the shot, but then mm. how do you get over it really quickly? Mm. And she loved that strategy. She went home that night, shared it with um, um. with her husband, and the next thing you know, I, I said, oh, I wonder what the, the chances would be of sh- sharing and exchanging coaching ideas yeah. and as well as interviewing him for the podcast. Yeah. So, of course, that's what happened, and, you know, I just love sharing and exchanging ideas with coaches and, yeah, uh, yeah. Feel very fortunate. Oh wow! I'm just blown away that you could do it. But you know, your history is as a heat-seeking missile. I know that uh, once you set your aim on something, you you generally achieve it. What I liked about his comments in the podcast was um, the balance between uh, some of the good things, the positive things, and then some of the way some things might be considered negative. But he's been able to see them as significant. He saw his championships in the Arena League and the uh, NFL as being important. But uh, the thing that I really hooked onto was his learning through interaction. Yeah, very, very much. And about uh, learning through people as well mm. and the, the relationships that, that you build. He spoke a lot about that and how that has really impacted the way that he goes about coaching the game. And the one thing, Dano, I could not get my head around. I mean, you know, quite often when I'm coaching, it's a small team. I mm. might have eight people or maybe it's a one-on-one situation. But literally when I was sitting in his office, you've got, and correct me, the language is, is off here, but, you know, had the whole wall of the defensive team, the whole wall of the offensive team, mm. and then the spe- special positions. Is that, Spe- is that the special, right thing? Special teams, yeah. Special teams. And then if you add up that number of people plus mm. – in the specialty coaches in each of those levels and you're the head coach mm, mm, and you're responsible mm. to, to make all those relationships work, not to mention yeah. the amount of money those that they get paid. Yes. Uh, that in itself is, it just blew me away actually. Yeah, I think the level of trust that you've got to have in your coaches, fellow coaches, has to be extreme because 
you know, it's critical that they're on the same page. It's critical that the message is the same, and it's critical that the message uh, filters down. And, and, and you know, as a head coach, you you really do need to trust your specialty coaches or in, in corporate life, your managers, to be able to disseminate and to be able to interpret your message so that it's relevant to the different sectors that uh, might be included in your corporation. Yeah, I really, I think that that is, is really critical when you are dealing with such diverse personalities. <laughs> yes. and, you know, I mean, even walking around, I, w- I went and had a look at their whole recovery room and, yeah. I mean, the, just the technology in, in that place alone and, you know, the meditation, the, the floating yeah. um, baths and, you yeah. know, everything that they had, that combined with these these big sort of loud personalities plus the cars that they drove are worth, you know, more than yeah. two houses. So, huh. uh, you know, I think it's it's really something that is, is to be admired because how many, there's only 32 jobs, is that, yep. is that right? Yeah, it sounds right to me. 32 teams, 32 head coaching jobs. So even if you are a head coach in the NFL, for some people NFL stands for not for long. There aren't a tremendous amount of opportunities. And even if you were prepared to drop down a level and go to a coordinator position, you would find that uh, there's still only another 32 jobs because uh, you're either an offensive guy or a defensive guy. I think a lot of organisations can learn from the NFL in the way that uh, whether you love the game or hate it, the way in which they spend their resources and the attitude that they have, if it's going to help them win, then they will do it. And we're measured by wins or losses, aren't we? And this is even more so in the corporate space, but I love one of his sliding doors. The part that really uh, stood out for him was when him and his brother got fired. Sometimes when bad things happen or we, you know, we, we lose our contract with a club or, or an organisation, we so often think, oh, my God, this is like terrible. You, you can't help it. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure there were some of those feelings for him, but he really used that opportunity as, as something to really you know, turn left instead of right. I, I agree. And I personally have learned much more through being able to take a positive view from adverse situations, like situations that have been on paper and negative. I think there's a genuineness that needs to sort of be embraced here, and that's the concept of spin, you know, how people would try to spin a situation or, or attribute, you know, it wasn't us, it was the umpire, it wasn't all the equipment or, or whatever. But I think genuinely, if you can look at a situation and go, well, this is where I am now, uh, I can either take a positive view of this or a negative view of this, and then you know a negative view. I look. I think most of us are human, and we will. You know, in the short term, we'll be upset. When we can sit down and, and look at things, quite often we will find that it becomes the making of us. And we have to be, in many ways, not stuck in our ways and not so stubborn that we can't adjust. Well, that was one of his key points, wasn't it? It was, it was the listen, motivate and adjust yeah. uh, with regards to what makes a great coach. And, mm. you know, I think to be able to listen to, you know, if you do also listen to everybody's opinion, you can, you can also get lost, can't you? Well, um, you, you can, but I think 
people's opinions are always right in the sense is that is there there are yes and so when you're looking to be able to help athletes or, or employees or, or whatever then you can't just tell them they're wrong <laughs> you've got to understand why why they're thinking this way because as a coach you know, recently we talked about getting somebody from here to there so to be able to do that you need to uh, listen to what they've got to say in a sales situation we used to put we talked about that as qualifying so we ask questions to people and then we ask them to buy it and then if they say no we say why not you know what are the reasons that you're not buying and then we can deal with those and i think in a coaching and corporate sense understanding objections or resistance you begin to see well maybe if this person thinks this way other people think this way and so it's an education on the other hand i'm always surprised when i've run a seminar state about what people lock into so i often think ah this is the key this is the thing that's going to change their life and when i talk to them later on they're saying oh this is that was the thing you know that i really talked it teaches me about listening and, you know, how humility is a really important thing. And um, a good friend of mine says, listening's not waiting to speak. You know, so you actually have to listen to what they say, uh, respect what they're saying because they're sharing an honest feeling. And then it gives you the opportunity to overcome whatever is the uh, objection or sticking point to go forward. And often people, when they feel like they've been listened to, they can become uh, stars. I, I call it the three E's of uh, you know really like sort of deep level listening. Uh, the first one is the effort. It's actually it begins with us. It's the effort to actually truly listen and spend time to listen, mm. and then entirety. Because so many times we listen, then we're already making assumptions or conclusions without listening to the entirety of the right. message. Yeah. And then the last E is you know, is, is empathy. Um, which is definitely one of my, my top threes for what makes a great coach. And I think when, when we come with those three E's in mind, mm. it's amazing how then our communication, we might adjust our communication accordingly. Yeah. So I really, I really love that one for the deep level listening. Yeah. Um, yeah Actually, can we? I've been um, a little bit interested in the Aboriginal um, deep listening they call Gabiri, and where you go out into the bush or whatever and you just listen. You just listen and there's all these things going on and you realise how much of it we miss because we've got we've either over focused or narrow focus or, or inappropriate focuses in our life and so sometimes like you said, you know, we don't actually listen. We we kind of hearing it, but are we are we really listening? You know, are we really understanding? And I also think that these things are not absolute. So there's a sliding scale. Sometimes a lot of empathy is required, but sometimes a bit of empathy. So yes, I understand that, and we have to do this, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So moving yeah. from from listening into actual communication uh, and direct, this is sort of indirect communication skills. Uh, thank you so much for you know sending through the. The YouTube clip on mic'd up with with Coach Green, I really enjoyed, and I love that even uh, from a tennis perspective. You know, on a change of ends when the coach mm. is mic'd up, mm. and you can hear that message in, in the ninety second changeover. Mm. It absolutely fascinates me from a coach's mm. perspective because his his second quality in what makes a great coach is motivate. 
And one thing I picked up on from just listening to him coaching is the the number of times he says the same message three times. Yeah, yeah, it's a big thing. Yeah, um, like nice job, nice job, nice job. Hustle it up, hustle, hustle, hustle. Yeah, Yeah, take it, take it, take it. Yeah, and it was it was really I just wrote down a couple of these key. Know, key key statements and, and that last one, you take it and don't blink. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he, nice job, you know, and pointing very specific with individuals, 9 1 or yes. yeah. whatever um, yeah. the language he used with his players. But yeah. I, I, I'm really curious, Dana, your perspective on, on that um, and the flow of practice and, and the correlation between the two. Could you share your thoughts on that? Well, I think every culture has its own environment and part of that environment is the way we communicate and um, if there's a time component to that culture then we need to be very very specific and very actionable give actionable uh, feedback so in my case I need to be able to give effective feedback in about a fifth a ten second what happens is athletes especially when they're training they get into a feeling of flow in, within their training American football is quite hard because there's lots of stop starts and part of their skill is being able to turn on at the right time. But this up, upbeat, very specific, very um, uh, direct type of coaching helps maintain, yeah, helps maintain and it's actionable. It's very clear. It's, we're not talking about the philosophy of, of the spin on the ball or catch a ball when you're looking into the sun or something like that. You know, you are giving actionable feedback because they are, practicing their reps so what happens is in that type of situation it's direct he talks to the player either by name or number and the number thing is a, is a football thing hey 91 you're blah 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 even though he knows his name at the moment he's 91 but the other thing is is that when it's time to make a philosophy change so in other words when you need to expand they bring everybody in and you know there's the, there's the classic take a knee and so then people they huddle as the American uh, football concept, and then the coach can give expanded uh, information. But within the flow of the game, it's very important to give punchy, direct, and actionable feedback. And I, I, that's, I'm really you know, grateful for the opportunity to listen to different coaches because mm. there's not one way to coach. No. And, you know, so many times, you know, I think even I can – get caught up in, in asking questions and questions and questions and I yeah. and I do have that philosophy within me yeah. uh, and often always try and do it at the flow of the, the pace of, of the learning or, or the yep. objective of the session. But I think it is important also just to be reminded of just how impactful two words can be. And, uh, you know, I, I think that really comes through in his ability to motivate his players as well as his sort of laughter that he, yeah. that he bellows out. Yeah, yeah. well, no, nobody died, so, you know, we've got opportunity to do it better. Let's do it better. And that's, yeah. I, I can't afford people in when I'm coaching, I'm sure the same for you, I can't afford people to be carrying unhelpful emotions. So if you make a mistake, okay, clear your mind, see what you want to do, do it again, okay? It's an opportunity to learn. It's an opportunity to improve. If the feedback's given where the athlete, oh, you know, I'm terrible on this, on that, they've taken it at a sort of an emotional level. So what we need to be able to target, I often say that there's 
the little guy in your head, we've got to get rid of that guy and we've got to talk to the athlete. Okay, we've got to get rid of Woody Allen, the Woody Allen that says, oh, I can't do this, it is terrible. Jamie Wheel, look him up, he's a fantastic speaker. He talks about the neurotic Woody Allen. Uh, yeah, you need to get to the athlete. The athlete is the actionable person. The athlete is the person that's going to be able to overcome the Woody Allen's limitations of life. And so when we're talking and you listen to his cadence, the way the staccato, ba 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 and that, that screams football, that screams action, that screams hitting, that screams clarity. And if you've got to play at a thousand miles an hour. So if we could just take that over to the workplace. And I think one of the key distinctions that, that is really important is the mentor versus the coach hat mm. and when to wear what hat. And I know definitely in the workplace, uh, some of the companies that I, I worked with, say even say ten years ago, it was all mentoring. You just told, you just told your subordinates what what you wanted, and just mm. get it done, and that, mm. that was it. And then we went through this whole journey of introducing coaching into the workplace, mm. where everything then was about how do you unlock the potential within someone else. Yeah. Which brings us back to today, and I know I certainly feel that I spend a lot of my time actually as a blend, a blend mm. of the two. Yeah. And knowing when to wear what hat, and I, yeah. I work with a lot of uh, coaches in the workplace around that because it was almost like they've gone too far the other way. Yeah. That you know, you just keep helping the person discover their own you know um, way of doing it, but yet there's so much you know you've been doing it and you've got the experience and you can see a quicker way, yeah. or you can see a more effective, more efficient way, like like a pass. Yeah, the quarterback you know can can see it so clearly. So I think. Yeah able to have that flow of communication hey asking for permission can i put on my mental hat now and yeah. then it's the cadence as you said the boom 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 boom, boom and get it done yeah and then come back and see me and i can then yes. give you some coaching on how you went yeah 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 i think that's critical i think that people need to know that they've been heard and i also think that the cost of bringing new people in rather than developing people that you've got is also uh really important sometimes there's there's a a lack of understanding, and especially in big picture stuff. Why am I doing this? This is stupid. That's one of the things that people often say. So you, you realize that's a closed shop. That that attitude, you're not going to get anything in there. That that door needs to be unlocked. And so you need to be able to coach the person. You need to be able to either fill them in a little bit more on the big picture or, or, or be able to get them on side as to why it's important. You'll it's never get... Oh, yeah. Look, you'll never get people working harder than when they feel valued. Yeah. And I think that that really brings us to his reflection question, doesn't it? How how do you handle adversity? How do you continue to motivate players to work hard, especially when they're not winning Mm. uh, or the team's not, there's underperforming? And how do you get them to do that on a daily basis? And I think it's a great it's a great reflection question, uh, and it does tap into exactly what we were just talking about, which is the why, the motivation, the values, and connecting something bigger. And I think the, this this next generation that they can connect to something higher, uh, something where the vision of where the team is heading, then the motivation to actually get up when yeah. you're getting beaten down. Yeah. I think is is something that is so important as we move into into the future. What do you yeah. think? 
I think with adversity, I often think of adversity as a gift. Uh, I think that the culture defines success so much. So in the NFL and in a sport where entertainment is a factor, it's the winning that, that overrides everything. And the posture that is taken is reflected by the demands of the sport. So when I'm doing corporate things, I look at I look at uh, the the company and say, you know, is your structure enabling you to be effective to the demands of of your particular industry or environment? When you look at the outcomes, you've got the sense of the external winning the winning the championship or whatever, but there's also a massive internal or intrinsic motivation, you know, and that's the thing that very few people are prepared to tap into. If you're going to be a complete coach, you are going to have to experience adversity. 32 teams in the NFL, one championship, the players want the ring. That's the thing that they talk about. NBA players, they want the ring. We want the ring. And that signifies that they have succeeded in that particular in that particular um, environment. But what about the corporate guys? What do they need? And, you know, because you've gone from, as an athlete, it's an identity. And as people, you know, people, you can meet people, what do you do? <laughs> that's, that's like the third question, probably, that most, oh, most things first start. question. Yeah, or even on, on your on your first date. By the way, I have to jump in and say that that's why my doubles for singles uh, business was so good at many years ago because right. you weren't allowed to ask where do you live and what do you do for a living within the first two hours of the program. So <laughs> that was one of the keys to... Uh, you're, a but, social, yeah. you're a social no. tyrant. <laughs> <laughs> No, but well, it's good because what it does is it, it directs people away from falling into the same traps. And I, I talk to my guys, if you want to make a change, by the time we get to that particular component of the of the training, it's too late. You've got to change the way you walk into the training to be able to change the thing that you want to change in an hour's time. I hope that's not too cryptic. Everything relates to everything. And so getting to motivate people, we need to see, we need to see them as people. We need to see that there, you know, there's, there's an empirity to them, and adversity is part of being a person. And the most, one of the things that I admire the most, and I'm always looking and challenging myself to uh, to develop, is more resilience. And that that sort of translated a little bit as grit now, but resilience is that decision to get up and do it again. I think long after all that's finished, it's about it's about how how you've developed as a person. What's your legacy, Jay Gruden? is um, somebody who's remembered and recognised in the Arena Hall of Fame. He was a um, very effective quarterback and he was also a very effective coach. I like the fact that he played in the International League. I don't think he mentioned that, but I I did find out. And he played for Barcelona and Scotland. (laughs) So I can't help but think that would have shaped his his understanding of other cultures as well. Mm -hmm. I think the more you can expose yourself, to that and perspective uh, at every level, I think that's that all ties into adversity. Well, and if, you've, if you've got to listen, motivate, and adjust, I think that you know it will. Yeah. If you see things the way you want to see them, and they're just reinforcing your philosophy, then you won't. You only you'll tend to sort of ah yes, and that's exactly what I expect. Mm-hmm. But you do it's you do have to. Yeah, you do have to come at things with a, an appetite to be able to learn and say, okay, 
you know, this, has, this season hasn't gone well or this situation hasn't gone well, what can I learn? Or um, I'm having trouble with this player. He's played well in the past. Why Why isn't she doing it now? What's, what are the issues? And whether it's a technical issue, maybe, but it's, it's quite often a personal issue that sort of you bring it onto the court. Yeah, I often find that the thing that's tripping me up in kendo when I'm, when I'm uh, sparring or, or fighting with people uh, not arguing, but training. If I reflect and I look at what the problem is, then I realise that that problem is often in my whole life, and so I'm able to sort of see it more clearly. It's another reason uh, why I really started my, you know, when I got out of tennis altogether and I studied everything to do with workplace coaching and mm. um, emotional intelligence, etc. I I really came up with the concept: the way we play the game reflects who we are. And, you know, the sport of tennis really exposes your character. It when does. You're, you know, when you're under pressure. And it's, 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 it's there often for the whole world to see, whether it's good, bad or ugly. Yep. Uh, but that's what I love about it because it's, that's, it, it's exposing in that moment how you handle adversity. And, you know, often we obviously wish we could turn back time and, and we can't. So one of the through lines for this entire interview for me was so so much the importance of relationships mm. and people and I think the more we can be masters of people and understanding people and understanding their character, mm. uh, that's the first step to how we handle adversity. Yeah, right. I really enjoyed that that interview and uh, what a great opportunity just to, to share coaching knowledge. And I had the pleasure of chatting with our guest coach today. He is one of my mentors and he is my Yoda coach. His name is Damien Carmody Stevens and he's the former Australian national kendo coach, which is Japanese sword fighting. And he's still coaching today down in Tasmania, both in the dojo and in the business world. Uh, thank you so much, everybody, for listening to The Coaching Podcast. My name's Emma Doyle, and I'm a global speaker and performance coach helping you unleash your potential. My website is emmadoyle.com.au. Thanks also to Simon Blair for this opportunity to bring you this fantastic episode. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did talking about it. 